everyone, and welcome back to Practically Zero Waste, a podcast for making zero waste living as practical as possible. I'm your host, Elsbeth Callahan, and this week I chatted with Sahar Mansour and Tim DeRitter, co-authors of the new zero waste book, Bare Necessities, your one-stop guide to living a zero waste lifestyle with a South Asian focus, giving insight into the world of sustainability and low waste living from decentralized voices in the field. We talk all about waste management and social justice, going outside your own home and taking care of the community, and lots of Indian cultural traditions that have always been good for the planet. I'm so excited to share this episode with you, so let's dive right in. Can you each tell me a little bit about yourself and what you were doing before writing Bare Necessities? Sure, great question. I can go first. Um, I'm Seher. I grew up in Bangalore, India. Um, I am an environmental nerd, and I've kind of studied that right through. Um, so I studied in a small Habila Black school in Los Angeles. Um, and then I moved on to the University of Cambridge, where I studied environmental law and economics. Um, and then fast forward a few years, I worked at the World Health Organization as a researcher um, amidst the Ebola outbreak. And then I moved to Bangalore finally in 2015, where I was working on solar energy projects, um, really working on kind of the bottom of the pyramid. So solarizing, you know, equipment for farmers and um, solar energy for public health centers in rural India. So cool. My name's Tim and I'm from Australia and I was actually working in India for a couple of years. I've been in the environmental sector for about half a dozen years, I suppose, uh, since making a career transition from studying in environmental management and sustainability at a university in Melbourne in Australia. And from that time, I went and worked in a number of locations, including Malaysia, Cambodia, and then onto India with uh, both NGOs as well as uh, social businesses that really kind of focused on community development and social impact. I had a keen interest in uh, getting into sort of the waste sector and waste reduction uh, due to a number of natural areas that I'd seen in different locations of the world that have been impacted by waste in various forms, could be plastic waste or other environmental degradation. And sort of uh, ended working with a couple of organizations prior to meeting Sahar at Bear Necessities, her business, firstly with a solar energy company, predominantly in North India, providing access to electricity to low-income communities, and then headed up to a composting organization in Bangalore, which is where Sahar's based and sort of where uh, we moved on to eventually writing this book after a little while working together, running her business as well and helping to grow that. Amazing. So you kind of joined working with Bare Necessities from a solar perspective. Like how did you kind of enter into that conversation? Well, the solar company was uh, the first job that I had in India and a lot of businesses within the country uh, because sustainability as a concept is probably a little bit newer than other locations, uh, say in Canada where you're based or I suppose in some ways in Australia where I'm based, although that might be a little bit critical about the uptake in terms of some areas of my country would like it to be a lot faster as a lot of us um, listening to this podcast uh, would feel, I'm sure. Uh, so I basically was involved in a number of organizations, both the few that I've been working with, the solar company, then um, composting and the bare necessities, as well as others that worked within the space and really, really small businesses or small NGOs as well. So it's more an introduction of sorts through a mutual network uh, that sort of led me from North India uh, with the solar company 
um, and providing sort of access to electricity. So in the form of solar lights, but also access to other resources like uh, water filters and sustainable cook stoves and that sort of thing. And then directed media, I suppose I should say, down to uh, Bangalore, uh, which is where BNSS is the business and Sahar's business is based. And she'll probably expand a bit on this a little bit later on. But essentially, I worked with a composting organization who are called Daily Dump, and they've been around for about 15 years. Amazing work within the uh, waste reduction space within the country. Um, and then sort of introduced to Sahar, which her business just briefly um, sort of focuses on both personal care, lifestyle, and home care. Uh, and we also wanted to create a knowledge hub of information that kind of developed through a lot of workshops and talks, some of those that are brought in from uh, previous uh, working experiences um, in other businesses, but also as a big focus that we had within Sahar's business as well where we really interacted with large groups of people. So that could be school kids to um, adults in corporate environments, um, people in cafes, just a really broad range. I really brought that about in terms of trying to get all of that knowledge inside the pages of books so it could be accessed by more people no matter where you are in the world. That's great. What a whole lot of ways to collaborate and, and to kind of share the values and the messages that you're trying to work with in, in all kinds of communities um, around the world for you, Tim, and also for Sahar to be able to expand the audience of um, your shop, Bare Necessities, and your business, Bare Necessities. Can you tell me a little bit more beyond Tim's awesome description about Bare Necessities as a business and kind of where that came from and how it started? Yeah, sure. Um, so honestly, you know, I was working in the renewable energy space and I really loved my full-time job. Um, but what really started Bare Necessities as a thought process uh, from the early days was actually I was working with a waste picker community, um, so extremely informal community that is largely migratory. So they don't really have any citizenship rights, um, no access to uh, formal housing and kind of living in really informal kind of blue top homes on the fringes of the city which was really crazy to me because, you know, Bangalore is kind of the Silicon Valley of India and there's a tech hub and, you know, we're trying to build a smart city and this like fancy international airport. And just, you know, super close to that is this community that literally has no access to electricity or water or anything. Um, and essentially they start their day at 5 a.m. collecting all of the high value recyclables like, you know, PET bottles, cardboard, etc., And then kind of, basically aggregate that and segregate that and then kind of get minimal wages for that source of waste. And essentially for me, I started working on a solar kind of project there where we put solar lanterns on their tea stall. So every morning when they're coming in for their morning chai, they're also kind of plugging in their battery um, to, you know, have a fully charged battery when they come back in the evening to plug into their solar lantern and you know while that was a really exciting project and I think that was at least a small solution in terms of going up the energy access ladder uh, by no means a solution um, long-term solution but at least like a quick band-aid solution um, what I started to do was uh, follow them around on my you know bicycle at like 5 a.m to 9 a.m um, to just try and see, you know, how they're collecting this waste, what routes they're taking, what equipment they're using, uh, just what they kind of experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, for me, that really moved something inside um, because I think I've, you know, really cared about sustainability. I've, like, you know, um, been part of various protests and studied it and, you know, I really kind of advocate for it. But I uh, something told me inside that I really wasn't 
um, you know, living my values. And I think that's why I wanted to try and think about what I could do. Um, so essentially, you know, that morning, especially the first morning that I followed them around um, my cycle, I noticed the conditions in which they were segregating these, which was basically with their absolute bare naked hand. Um, and everything in India is completely segregated, um, not segregated, sorry. So it's kind of all like just in this big kind of mountain of sorts. There's no personal protective equipment. You know, there's broken glass, there's sanitary napkins, there's diapers, all kind of right there. And they're sorting through all of this to try and get that glass bottle or, um, you know, plastic bottle, etc. And it just made me understand our base issue from a very much ground up perspective and kind of um, opened my eyes to the social justice issues associated with our waste problem. That's often not discussed. Um, and it's often, you know, the people who are at the bottom of the pyramid who are most affected by it. Um, so for me, I, you know, wanted to just start living a zero waste lifestyle to try and that was just the way how I knew how to be part of the solution. Um, and that's how I got started. And I never really thought I would start a business. Uh, but slowly, you know, I was doing these little pop-up shops on the weekends um, and slowly doing these talks and workshops to get people excited about um, sustainability and kind of deconstruct what's actually in our waste. And a few months later, I realized that, uh, yeah, I'm 25. I'm going to start this business. If I don't try now, I'm never going to try. And that's kind of how it began. Um, so in just a few words, Bare Necessities is kind of a hub for all things zero-waste living. It's a knowledge hub. It wants to make information easy and accessible, but also provide alternative products. So you don't have to kind of search high and low for all of your sustainable options. So it's kind of a one-stop shop for your personal care, home care, and lifestyle products. That's amazing. I do find that an entry point into sustainability, one of them is social justice. So lots of people approach sustainability for a variety of reasons, but um, the social justice catalyst is becoming more and more apparent to me in just how intrinsic intrinsically those things are linked. Talking about your just access to energy in general, um, either it's like having clean cooking stoves uh, solutions um, rather than burning wood or some other uh, sort of fuel uh, having clean options there and then also um, just having access to solar energy like these things that in my first world whatever that means white bubble I'm not really thinking um, as much about access to energy but to even look at it from a bare necessities a bare um, minimum from that perspective I think it's just really valuable to bring that into the conversation so I appreciate you sharing where your desire to start this movement this shift to zero waste or to lower the waste from the ground up um, I think that that's a really valuable perspective to share with people. So thank you. And both of you working quite a bit with the energy access ladder and helping people move up that and trying to engage with lower income communities. I think both of those experiences brought together into this project is just such a great starting point and is one that needs to be talked about so much more. What is the waste like in India? Like you were saying, it's kind of not really divided up um, between recycling and garbage, perhaps. Um, but if you could expand a little bit more on what, what the waste um, industry is like in India and what the zero waste lifestyle is like and where is that um, kind of rhetoric coming from? Yeah, great question. Um, so honestly, the waste problem is huge and massive. And you can just imagine that because we've got 1.3 billion people, right? 
So every day, actually, India generates more than 25,000 tons of plastic, which equates to kind of roughly the same weight of 9,000 Asian elephants <laughs> or like 86 Boeing aircrafts, like wow. 747 aircrafts, Yikes. which is massive. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, our waste infrastructure systems aren't as developed. So really, we don't have a lot of um, segregated bins and accessible everywhere on every street corner. So as a result, like a lot of waste is just kind of mixed up and is often just kind of on, you know, corners of streets or um, there's just a lot that needs to happen. You know, the local municipality systems are stronger in few cities than others, but essentially we're also kind of consuming at this rapid pace where the infrastructure hasn't really kept up, right? And as cities urbanize and more people are moving from rural India to um, cities and trying to kind of move up the social ladder. And I think while you're doing that, you're associating kind of consumption with kind of moving up that social ladder. Mm. And I think that's kind of very problematic. Um, and essentially, you know, it's massive. I, I like to say that I, I was confronted by my waste every day when I moved back to India after being away for a couple of years. You know, when you wake up in the morning, wherever you might be in Geneva or Toronto or whatever, um, it's like some magic fairies just came and cleaned it all up, right? Mm-hmm. You never really think of where a way is. But in India, you get the opportunity to introspect on a way a lot. Um, when you say throw away, you really get confronted on a kind of daily basis. Um, so the problem is huge, but there are also some amazing solutions out here in Bangalore, in India, that are honestly super native to the Indian culture. Whether it is the notion of your bazaars, which now is really being celebrated by the West in terms of the bulk stores, that's really accessible everywhere here, you know, irrespective of where you are in India. Um, you can get package-free groceries like super, super easily. Wow. And then you know, uh, the whole reuse and kind of the, the model of using a refill, the, the startups in, in London and Toronto, et cetera, that are providing these reusable containers or coffee mugs or whatever it might be. And that's kind of an 18th century Indian invention through the Dabbawalas, um, which, you know, every day provide amazing, healthy, home-cooked meals um, to over 2 million just Mumbaikers in one city. Uh, providing about 7,000 jobs. It's kind of really cool because there are all of these amazing models of sustainability, of zero waste, um, that have been kind of India, Indian culture for so long. So it's kind of actually we're at this very interesting nexus, I think, uh, where we can kind of reinvent solutions for a greener, more you know just world. Um, or we could also kind of just you know mimic models um, that have existed um, and, and not to like be rude or anything, but um, you know, I think a lot of Western countries have just become waste managers, um, but aren't really like innovating on circular solutions at the pace that they sh- that we can. Um, so I think India and lots of developing countries are at this time where we can kind of reimagine the problem and solution in a way that is, you know, mirroring values of circularity. Oh, I love that reminder that that we're just kind of managing the problem as it's coming to us rather than going back to the to the roots and the solutions that could be found before we even get to this piled up problem. That's great. And tell me a little bit more about the bazaars as well. Like you're talking about being able to purchase your maybe produce package free, but there's lots of other things that you can get package free in a bazaar as well, right? Yeah. And um, honestly, I think wherever you are located in India, um, 500 meters from you, you will find 
um, either fruits or veggies or lentils or all of the above, you know, super accessible to you. And I think India is kind of the land of small entrepreneurs. So anyone kind of with a small little cart just, you know, stationed really anywhere is a small entrepreneur selling amazing produce to you. So, um, you know, while there are more formal bazaars as well, the kind of the equivalent of farmers markets in the West, that's something that just is here every day uh, rather than like a weekend fixture. Uh, so I think that's also really amazing that there's no kind of barrier to entry of market because you can kind of sell your uh, fresh produce quite excessively. And it's, you know, whether you want to tend to coconut water and you're walking on the streets of Bangalore, um, it's super accessible. Or if you want like guava or um, ice apple or apples, you know, it's all really, really accessible. And you can just kind of put it all in your cloth bag and you are absolutely good to go. You don't have to like travel to this one hipster bag store, you know, in this like faraway neighborhood. Um, which is what I really love about Zero Waste in India. What has been the response to a store like yours um, that is kind of touting the zero waste lifestyle um, rhetoric and how much of that is Western, how much of it is being able to be like shown from a traditional Indian perspective um, as well? Uh, like what has been the reception in the community in Bangalore? You know, when uh, we started and when uh, I personally most started my zero waste journey, I thought that there were lots of examples from the West which were great and really useful, you know, to guide my own philosophy and find my own kind of um, voice and ideas within the system. Um, but also, I really noticed that we can celebrate a lot of Indian ideas and a lot of Indian practices. Mm-hmm. The idea for starting by necessities is to celebrate those little ideas that maybe don't have a digital footprint um, that you want to be able to find on Instagram or on um, online. So whenever we do talk about sustainability or zero waste, we are sure to kind of highlight uh, decentralized models, uh, you know, really ground up perspectives, small entrepreneurs doing amazing things that maybe don't have a digital footprint, uh, things that you can do without spending any money, or if you have the access or the desire to, you can also consume this. So even through our workshops, we always give people choices. You can, you know, buy a bamboo toothbrush or you can buy a miswak stick or a neem stick which kind of dates back to Indus Valley civilization that is accessible for like 20 rupees or like the equivalent of 20 cents. Um, so we always kind of, you know, share examples um, and meet people where they're at, uh, whether that is socially, economically or uh, culturally. So always try and highlight some Indian examples, some solutions of products that entrepreneurs are creating in India. It's just more holistic so we can meet people where they're at rather than kind of dictating one kind of philosophy, you know so valuable to be able to even um, wherever you are in the world to reach back a couple of centuries and to look at what was happening before plastic what did people in this area do with the resources that they had because you know people have been brushing their teeth for a really long time people have been using toilet paper and and cleaning themselves and cleaning their homes and um preserving food for a really long time it seems like we're you know trying to reinvent the wheel all the time now but we don't have to if we just look at what's there um and what's coming from our culture or from our personal history or from what our great grandparents did we don't have to start fresh and start from scratch in order to um, practice a life that is uh, lower waste from bare necessities as a business or as a store where did the spark come from to uh, write your book and what was kind of your goal with that 
Yeah, perhaps I'll kick off this time. I guess what I'd also like to touch on is just a couple of notes that you mentioned, Elizabeth, just in terms of providing some perspective from an external person, so non-Indian being me in Australia, um, in to think about uh, those communities that we're working in and uh, also the waste system as well for anyone who's listening outside of India who hasn't had the opportunity to get there. The book itself, we've certainly attempted and uh, throughout to create a unique Indian perspective on the situation as well, well as the solutions. And we've kind of done that particularly by incorporating Sahar's first-person narrative through. So a number of her experiences were just kind of there speaking about how she grew up in certain situations, reflecting on uh, how her grandparents uh, went about, uh, say, cooking or cleaning without um, producing waste, but then also about those insights when she's working in rural communities in Karnataka, which is the state Bangalore is based in, in southern India, and also other locations too where, that she's been interacting with. The waste-picking communities within India are quite even though they're very, very informal, they're quite structured in a way in terms of the knowledge that community members have. So what you'll find with um, individuals within each are an understanding about the value of how much an item will will make back for them. So it might be a certain amount of um, plastic waste equals X amount of rupee and and understanding at that level. But when you're working to a higher level in socioeconomic class within India, that kind of knowledge is forgotten about or not understood to the same level because they're not actually interacting. And that's one of those kind of interesting things I find coming from Australia to India and in a number of other countries as well. This sort of grassroots understanding about how to manage waste and how it sort of relates to a certain location in the world. That kind of communication really comes through with uh, the first-person narrative that we've got intertwined within the book, uh, sort of interwoven throughout each chapter. That really provides that sort of uh, understanding to the reader about those situations if you're not really aware of them to, say, the same depth that Sahara is, which is fantastic for anyone, um, even people that I've met who've lived their whole lives in India who just haven't gone about visiting communities oh, or yeah. haven't asked um, people at, say, a local um, coffee or chai shop um, about how their day is going and really interacting with the community. Relationship building, I suppose we could say, is something that is a bit of a disconnect, I think, more and more over the last sort of 10, 20, 30 years as the world sped up until we've hit this pandemic roadblock where everything slowed down and we've reflected on that a little bit. The way that we've really approached this is trying to provide a unique Indian perspective for anyone within India as well as outside. So you're kind of aware of what's going to happen at the coalface. Um, and even if you're detached from the waste environment within India, if you're reading and learning about the book there, and that can be just as separated as you've never been to a waste site and you just think that your waste goes and gets collected by the local government um, organization mm. or um, around each morning and just disappears from your street, where does it actually go? So the way that we've really looked at that is by incorporating activities throughout the chapters 
So there are three main activities. Firstly, assesses where the reader assesses the waste. Then secondly, looks at the resources after Sahar has a bit of a first-person discussion about how she may have done that in a certain situation. And then also looking at larger systemic issues. And by systemic issues, I can be talking about something like wasting food scraps. So if you're just throwing out something that might not look 100% as you might see it in a magazine cover, Mm -hmm. but it's going to taste just as good, what kind of perception is that going to be? So how can you reduce waste by having something that might be looking abnormal in terms of, say, a magazine picture um, of a fruit or vegetable? And how could you actually address that, which would be just being okay to eat something that might not look like a banana that you might see on every single day or something sure, like that. Yeah. Being able to provide solutions throughout that as well. So we've um, included a number of uh, tips and tricks as well as in-depth recipes or ideas that Sahar's brought in or from both her own experience, her family experience, and also the Bare Necessities business, um, the team as, as a, larger, a larger whole, which really sort of provides those extra perspectives to to life in India but also at a larger scale on the global uh, global space as well and then the last activity within each chapter sort of allows you to really sort of assess that systemic issue and sort of go about each area and just sort of lastly before I hand over to Sahar the way that we've kind of looked at doing this is sort of approaching it from an intimate area, so looking at your personal care or your closet choices, so your fashion choices in the immediate instance, and then to more communal areas in a, a stage or step-by-step chapter format. So when you're moving into chapter three or four or five, you're looking at things like your kitchen, home as a larger area where you're interacting with more family members, then gifting practices, and then the community. Uh, sort of what I was talking about before in terms of interacting with people, say, at a coffee shop and finding out about them to see what their perspective might be on reducing waste or why they may be making a choice like uh, public transport or not taking public transport. And then we've also sort of delved into broader topics as well, so things like uh, city-scale waste and also sort of global areas, things as climate change as well in the latter stages of the book. But it's sort of that evolution from an intimate area to sort of a really global perspective as well. Yeah, honestly, it was just to make it like a one-stop shop of everything. I wish I knew when I started um, and that's kind of how we you know, approached it. And then it's kind of a celebration of all the other organizations and people and innovators who are in the space, whether it is someone who is, you know, upcycling old shoes or to someone creating composting bins. Um, the idea is to really just celebrate all the amazing ideas and solutions uh, that are here um, that also might not have a digital footprint, but also might that, that might have. Um, So we've kind of listed people and organizations that have truly kind of inspired us and been instrumental in our journey as well. I like, uh, Timmy mentioned the idea of how we are disconnected from our waste, no matter, most of us are disconnected from our waste, no matter where we are. It's not just in Canada, I have no idea about the waste in India. It's also in Canada, I have no idea about the waste in Canada. I don't have a sense of how big the dump is by my house. I don't, or not by my house, because I don't live near a dump because I'm special or I, <laughs> oh gosh, all of my privilege there um, coming out, but to not have any real sense of, of what that looks like. I also don't know if I were to bring a tin can or a glass bottle, I don't know what I would get back. Um, so I'm very disconnected from, from that side of the waste 
waste picking aspects of that as well. So it's it's a very eye-opening thing to be reminded that no matter where you're living, um, <laughs> you could probably be a little bit more aware of the waste that being produced around you and that you're producing, what happens to it, what the value of it is. Um, I think that that's all just a nice reminder for, or a sad reminder for people too. Yeah, um, just in terms of feeling disconnected to waste as a whole, I think a lot of the designs that we've got within locations like Canada or Australia or certainly even in India and many other places across the world, the waste system is really designed to be disconnected. But the way that we as a society in the last sort of five to 10 years particularly have become more aware of situations like plastic waste and then onto that with climate change and really, really important topics that probably should have been addressed many years ago. But the heightened awareness of that, we're really looking at the fact that you got more and more people invested and involved within these kind of questions about where is my waste going, what is actually occurring. And you see that with large organizations or, or groups, I should say, with sort of climate action groups these days where a few years ago it was just a few people, now it's more and more people as well. Uh, and the same happens within zero waste space. And I think some of the positive examples that I've seen is how we can reconnect with the concept of things like a farmer's market. And that's sort of a prime example that people like to become involved in uh, these days, where if you're thinking about being connected to your food in that way, you're also trying to reduce waste by being proactive in terms of finding out more information. It might not be the first information of going to find out how much your recyclables may earn by putting in a tin can or a plastic bottle or anything else into your local recycling areas. But by taking a first step in terms of going to a farmer's market or upcycling your clothes or doing a clothes swap of some sort, sort of continues that same process. And enough of those sort of processes across um, sort of in that scope, then the closer probably are to really becoming more and more aware about what's going on and sort of changing the system, which takes a long time before sort of a giant paradigm shift. It certainly takes a lot of things to get build momentum behind that. So Yeah. And so here mentioned in the experiences that you've had, you've been able to look at how it's not just that one little hipster shop in the posh area of, of the city that's uh, kind of inaccessible to a lot of people. A lot of the practices that you're talking about, um, especially the bazaars, but, but in general, uh, it seems like there's a wider distribution of uh, access in a way to um, mm -hmm. these lower waste uh, lifestyles. And I know that in Canada, at least, that the perspective uh, on zero waste is that it is just for rich people and it just and you know rich white women on instagram posting about um their you know little mason jars of trash and that's it's really hard because it is partially how it became well known and popular here and so it's hard to um take a step back and be like no you can do it for literally zero zero money <laughs> you can spend nothing and reduce your waste and it's not going to be aesthetically attractive but that's not the point you're trying to um like you know, do your clothing swaps and shop secondhand or reuse something as long as possible, even if it's like a plastic container that is unattractive. So like just that idea that it's not, it's not just for hipsters. It's not for the elite. It's, it's this uh, accessible thing that, that everybody should be doing and <laughs> trying to reduce yeah. our waste. I like that in your book, you're uh, kind of talking about the evolution of that experience too, because when you first start zero waste, 
you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff I have to do to change overnight. <laughs> and you said like, we can't, we can't have that giant paradigm shift in a matter of minutes <laughs> or, you know, maybe in your mind, you're like, I have to change, but you can't make all those changes all at once. And so I like that it starts with a very individual action and then moves to wider community action. Yeah. I think a big thing as well is sort of a number of people and organizations really making a concerted effort to break down those barriers of where it initially started with that sort of hysteria. And one of the ways we've done this within the book is sort of write as a gender neutral book to, because if we can start speaking to adult men as well, as well as kids as well, um, instead of just that sort of demographic of 20 to 30 year old women, or maybe 15 to 30 year old women, which is sort of the initial area that hipster take up a zero waste as you kind of termed it. And if lots and lots of organizations around are aware that more and more demographics need to be involved and can be involved in different ways. And it could be by uh, reducing food waste, which actually starts saving money or finding different ways to commute sustainably or to well, outside of COVID time to travel sustain travel um, sustainably in different ways to have those kind of experiences. Uh, then the initial uh perception i guess you'd say of what's a zero waste lifestyle of that mason job full of um waste as she as she mentioned can look different for different people and yeah so uh, something that we've certainly attempted to do um and hopefully have done throughout the book as well is really write this book so it can relate to any reader in that way and so, so one way is writing that gender neutral but then also writing it in a way where you, you the reader can use their own experiences mm -hmm. for things like the activities or where they can find their own resources to add to their toolkit. And by uh, giving everyone a starting point, but then just saying, yeah, well, this is a starting point. You've made your first big decision by choosing to try and live more sustainably. That's the first massive step. And then what can you find within the book and also outside the book as well? What's available in your local community to uh, go and um, so give sustainably or to reduce food waste, I suppose, as well? Um, I've probably mentioned that a few times, but there's certainly a wide amount of examples too. So it's really about involving more and more people. Yeah, it's so valuable to broaden the the demographic that feels targeted because obviously hey everybody who's listening um you're probably between 23 and 27 and female but that's just who is already ready for this conversation and it has been targeted at us for a long long time and so i love the idea of prioritizing um not just a gender neutral perspective though that is so incredibly important but also like that i could hand this book to my grandparents or to the 10 year olds that are starting to take part in climate action at local elementary school and and people would be able to take this framework and apply it to okay what is in my garbage can um, what are the ways that waste is being, or that I'm confronting waste in my daily experience? What can I do for my community? And how is that going to look different for each person? I like that you're providing the tools to start looking at that um, without having it to be like, okay, now we're going to make our own biodegradable, like, or <laughs> we're going to make our own little thing that's going to be very pretty and very feminine. Like, I know that that's been not necessarily a problem, but it has been a barrier to other people um, feeling like zero waste could be for them. 
because it has started in this one place. Yeah. Um, one thing that I had wanted to ask and forgot to do earlier is in a lot of countries, potable water is is a real challenge and an access issue for so many communities. And for that reason, plastic water bottles are still going to remain prolific for a very long time and lots of people in the zero waste community especially in privileged um, zero waste communities are thinking just ban plastic water bottles i just want to dive into that a little bit and and see what the perspective is like in india on plastic water bottles um and or like just access to to clean water and maybe what's being done about it but also yeah just kind of opening up that conversation that it's not about banning something necessarily um because people still need to drink water um so honestly in many cities you know you can just turn on the tap and have access to great you know fresh drinkable water um that's not the case of course in many parts of india and i think lots of communities actually don't have access to water lots of communities are actually you know walking miles or kilometers to you know fetch water for their household uh, many girls in fact aren't in school because they're actually going to collect water so there's lots of layered and lots of kind of access and access really varies across parts of india you know whether that's rural or urban mountainous or uh, otherwise so it really kind of is layered and i can't really speak for the entire country because it's so diverse and, but um i think just if we could you know go back to models of re- reusing like those big matkas of water um which is kind of like clay um pots of water that we you know used to collect water and keep it in and things like that um if we could make water filters more accessible um, you know located geographically for everyone um i think there are lots of things that we need to do to make decentralized models uh, accessible to everyone but also i think i'm inspired by lots of innovative models that are happening like um you know the london marathon used these seaweed bubbles um all across the marathon instead of the single use plastic bottles and they're completely soluble and or you can kind of compost the outer edge so uh, i think i'm excited to see the innovation in this space and maybe we don't really need uh, plastic water bottles to be everywhere but maybe we can model you know marry models of the past with the models of the present and be pretty innovative uh, to solve kind of this problem mm-hmm. and just adding to that as well i think as an overall uh what could really help within space is um more and more awareness of of situations in different locations and solutions that fit those uh, one location where uh you might be based or i might be based uh, could be very 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 differently for access to water or access to many things that really help people's livelihoods within india even within a city that's going to vary quite significantly bringing sort of a an open mind about how a solution can be brought for people on a few rupee a day so talking i don't know 10 canadian cents a day um compared to another person on um say 10 or a few a few hundred rupee is completely different in terms of their access to water or their access to other resources as well uh, a lot of that is sort of helped by community organizations but it probably needs larger systemic change so the small steps about is really just sort of interacting with people within the communities i've kind of met a number of um really low income 
um, communities and members in communities that don't have access to water, but they want to do away with their plastic water bottles, but it's finding those kind of solutions. And that may be um, the seaweed solution that Sahar mentioned, or it could be something quite different. And there's many more sort of sustainable packaging options coming about and more innovations. We've probably seen sort of an increase of that within the last year or so during the pandemic, which is actually quite great to see that there's been more and more innovation. Exactly what the solution is, we're not sure, but I suppose one thing that we've tried to articulate through this, which has come from a number of workshops and talks, or we did this from between many, many different groups, is be open-minded about solutions that will be fit um, for that exact audience or that exact reader, and that's really based on them. So providing an answer that covers everyone just really isn't going to work. But talking to the person, getting an understanding about where they're coming from and what their struggles are and what they they want, because generally they're going to want the same thing as you in terms of a clean place to live. Mm better livelihood opportunities for their family when it's really down to the core level. That way we can find paths forward. But by bringing about a blanket ban, for instance, of plastic water mm-hmm. bottles with no secondary solution, um, and I suppose a similar kind of probably large-scale um, area is sort of the closure of mines, but the closure of mines without replacing those people's jobs with, say, solar energy jobs or wind farm jobs causes a lot of angst in sort of countries like Canada or Australia and India as well. So on the same level with a plastic water bottle that someone may actually need to drink, if there's no alternative for that person's drink um, or purchase, then what's going to happen to that individual? And their voice may not be as loud as those workers in, say, Australia or Canada who've lost their jobs in their minds, and we quite hear about them quite a lot, um, but their lives are just as important mm-hmm. um, and far more vulnerable in many instances. So I think finding solutions first that can be replaced is really, really important. Oh, absolutely. I like how you've said that and having a place-based solution, no matter uh, what the situation is, I think really ties into kind of reaching out into your broader community the conversation near the end of your book where we're making sure that we're looking beyond our own individual needs but also our own individual perspectives and then this little bubble and tunnel vision that we live in where you might see photos from around the world of just you know the pacific garbage patch or uh, heaps of garbage that people are sorting through and we're like well if we just stopped producing plastic water bottles then we wouldn't have this problem but that's not the answer in every single context and so being able to go into a community talk to the people at the chai stall or be able to talk to individuals in an area hear about their experience and figure out what the needs are. I know that clean potable water is such an issue in a lot of First Nations communities here in Canada. And and to be able to say, oh, well, we'll just, we'll just stop making water bottles. They'll be fine. It's horrible and not the answer. And so, yeah, to look at it case by case is, is really important. And that can absolutely be applied to so many different elements of the zero waste lifestyle as well. Um, where can people go to to find your book and and to learn more about this kind of conversation? The ebook is available on Amazon everywhere globally, but if you're in India, it's available in most bookstores across the country. That's so exciting! Who is inspiring each of you in the low waste 
zero waste movement lately that you'd like to share with our listeners? I can go first. That's a good question. Um, I think really in India, especially there are like 1.5 to 4 million odd informal waste pickers. And I don't really like to call them waste because I like to call them waste warriors. Um, but I think they really inspire me. And there are really amazing organizations that are working with the informal community to um you know, formalize them or there are co-ops. So for example, in a city like Pune, there's a co-op called Swatch and they do door-to-door pickups uh, from you know, over 8 million households and they, you know, create employment opportunities for upwards of 3,500 people. And then there's a similar model in Bangalore, which is with Hasi Durula, uh, again, which supports upwards of 4,000 waste pickers. It's been really great because together collectively they're able to then get ID cards and then get you know access to uh, loans and financial institutions. Um, and this was something that would not have been possible even like you know six years prior to this. Um, so these models where people um, who are coming together in the form of waste cooperatives have been like really really inspiring me lately because they're doing such important work. Um, imagine they you know helping divert so much plastic from oceans and landfills mm-hmm. helping you know hopefully get more um, uses out of the high value recyclables um, and just contributing so much immensely so it's really great to see that they're getting more and more recognition with more and more policies in place and more and more organizations working to support and strengthen this ecosystem and that's really exciting for me yeah i think i'm really inspired by the breadth of companies the oh, scope of companies, when I say, um, that are really coming about. And so I mentioned earlier that we've kind of mentioned a number of organizations within each chapter uh, of individuals and organizations who are making tangible differences in a variety of ways. So that can be things like uh, clothes swapping, composting organizations or biogas organizations, things like sustainable gifting, sharing cutlery, um, bike shares, and also like community action groups as well. What we've done throughout the book is really try and find business and organizations who are firstly doing amazing things for communities and for social impact, environmental impact, but also located in a broad range of places. So it's not just a book focused just on one place. And that really represents what organizations across the country and individuals across the country are doing. And that's really becoming involved with their they live and what in areas that really matter to them and seeing that at a ground level is really really inspiring for me thank you so much you two for being on the show this was an amazing conversation to really open my own perspective um, and hopefully a lot of listeners perspectives on um, what the zero waste lifestyle looks like and can look like in india and how that can be both an inclusion of what we may know as a Western rhetoric around waste reduction um, in your own home, but also about incorporating whatever your cultural traditions are, just looking back um, a couple decades uh, or a couple generations and being able to see um, some innovations from the past, I think is really valuable. I love our conversation about how we're tying in social justice into our work, our everyday work of lowering um, our waste and lowering our negative impact on the planet. I'm very grateful for both of you giving your time today. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you want to hear more from Sahar and Tim, you can head to Sahar's store site, barenecessities.in, or find them on Instagram at 
Recipes underscore Zero Waste India. And if you want to find a copy of the book, it just came out. So I'll leave a link in the show notes for you to find it as well. If you enjoyed today's episode, you might also enjoy episode 76, Savoring Resources, episode 64, Starting a Zero Waste Shop, or episode 101, Zero Waste Hong Kong. You can find all of those and more in our archives wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to be in touch, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at practicallyzerowaste at gmail.com or message me on Instagram at practicallyzerowastepod. If you want to support the show, you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee over at coffee.com slash Callahan or leave a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. It's easiest to do that right in app. Simply scroll to the bottom of the podcast page and tell me what you think. And that's all from me this week. I hope you're enjoying some sunshine, spending some time outside, getting the socially distanced quality time in that you need with the people that you love and maybe baking a batch of cookies or at least that's my plans for the weekend have a great week everyone and talk to you soon